day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, then please visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's podcast features a sermon as part of our Bright Beginnings series, focusing on the accounts in Matthew of Jesus' early life. We hope you enjoy the sermon. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazareth. Loving Lord God, we thank you so much for your word today to us and for what it tells us about Jesus' life and what Jesus' life has to do with ours. We pray, Lord, that you would give us open hearts and open lives to hear what you have to say to us and apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to ask the exact same question that Zoe asked. What did you get for Christmas? Anyone want to shout out things that they got for Christmas? Oh, you're a sorry bunch. (laughs) Air conditioning. That's very exciting in Dolby. (laughs) Any other Christmas presents? An air conditioner. Yes, Isabel? A watch. Very cool. we We might take a look at that over morning tea. Well, I got a number of amazing gifts, one of which is this beautiful iPad. Uh, And another one of my Christmas presents really got me thinking. It's a book, and it's called How God Became King by a guy called N.T. Wright. And when I finish it, I'll probably pass it on to some unsuspecting person to read. I'm only a couple of pages in, but the basic argument of the book is that often in our minds and in our hearts, we only seem to care about what happens between Christmas and Easter. The events of Christmas, Jesus' birth and Jesus' death and resurrection seem to be at the forefront of Christians' minds. Even in our creeds, we focus on the fact that Jesus came to earth and that he died, but we neglect the stuff in between. After the sermon, we'll say the Nicene Creed and just have a read of the words and see how much focus there is on Jesus' birth, 
his death and resurrection and how little attention is paid to Jesus' life. Jesus only lived 33 years, but surely those 33 years count for something. The gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have a lot to say about Jesus' life. And while they focus on his three years of public ministry, they also have a lot to say about Jesus' early life. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at what Matthew wrote down for us about Jesus' early life. In two weeks' time with Reverend Ian Harris, we'll look at Jesus' baptism. Next week, Father Rod McDonald, who is Zoe's dad, uh, will be coming and celebrating church for us. And he'll be looking at the visit of the Magi to Jesus. And this week, we're looking at Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, where we read together in our Bibles, When the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Today we'll examine a plot to kill a king. We'll see a narrow escape. And we'll also see that there is a dragon in our nativity. So first, a plot to kill a king. This account is set right after the Magi have left the toddler Jesus and his family and returned home. We'll learn more about them next week. But these wise men from the east had bumped into King Herod, as Zoe said in her kids' talk, and told him that there was a new king in town. Now, Herod was not a Jew. He was an Idumean. But the Romans had set him up as the puppet king of the Jews. So to hear that there was another king of the Jews was very intimidating. Herod the Great was famous for his building projects. He built an amazing temple to try and impress the Jewish subjects and make him look religious. He also built a very impressive palace for himself to make himself look great. Herod was also famous for his cruelty. He murdered three of his sons, his wife, and when he was about to die, he made plans for political prisoners to be killed after him so that there would be mourning when he died. These orders, thankfully, were never carried out. So you can see why Herod was so intimidated by the news of a baby being born in Jerusalem, a baby who was rumoured to be king of the Jews. You can also see why Herod was so angry when, the, when he figures out that the Magi haven't come back to tell him the whereabouts of this baby. Herod quickly makes a plan to kill all the boys in the region who are two years old or younger. Imagine that. All the young babies born in that region mercilessly slaughtered. This has traditionally been called the Massacre of the Holy Innocents. And we get pictures of babies being killed all around Bethlehem. Some skeptics point out that, hey, no other historians wrote, wrote about Herod doing this. Sadly, Herod's plan to kill Jesus is so consistent with what we know about him from history that many historians may not have bothered to record this murderous plan 
among many others. Notice also how Matthew weaves this account of Herod's plan with two quotes from the Old Testament in verse 15 and also in verse 18. Matthew shows us how Jesus fulfills these prophecies in his birth and recognizes the spiritual dimension of what is going on here. Some might say that Jesus read the Old Testament and then went about fulfilling the prophecies in order to make himself look like the Messiah. But here, Jesus fulfills prophecies that were hundreds of years old, prophecies that he has no control over them. Here is a very special baby, and Matthew is demonstrating for us how Herod's evil will be thwarted by God's providence. Now, you may say, what about the babies who are killed? Where is God's providence and compassion for them? Why are they rescued? Why is Jesus rescued and not them? If God is so good and protected Jesus through dreams and angels, couldn't he have protected the others? This is a tough question, but the passage does, in fact, speak into it. In his goodness and love, God does not violate Herod's free will, but instead allows him to commit this sin. Herod is not a puppet on a string, and neither are we. But he will be held accountable for his evil. And while Herod is working out his plans... God is working out his greater plan for salvation. Jesus will die to save the babies killed in the wake of his birth. He will redeem the whole world and put all wrongs right. Notice also the parallels between Jesus and Moses. Moses in the Old Testament was the great liberator who brought his people out of Egypt But at his birth, an evil king, the pharaoh of Egypt, also tried to kill him and all babies around him. Again, God stepped in and raised up Moses as the redeemer of the people. Here, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the greater Moses. Moses risks his life to set his people free. Jesus will give his life to set all people free. While all hell seems to be breaking loose, we can trust that God is working out his great salvation plan. While Herod is working out his wicked plan to kill a king, God is raising up his chosen king who is saved through a narrow escape. Here again, we see parallels with the Old Testament. In Genesis, God raises up a young man called Joseph who has dreams that take him and his family to Egypt and ultimately save God's people. There is a lot of suffering and sadness and wickedness in Joseph's story in Genesis. But at the end, Joseph looks at his brothers who threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And the same thing is happening here through this Joseph, through Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father. 
You can see why Joseph's dream in Matthew and the haste he shows in escaping to Egypt are a crucial part of Jesus' story. It's a narrow escape, but you can see God working behind the scenes the whole time. Joseph and Mary show incredible courage and leave their homeland for refuge in Egypt. There were many Jewish communities in Egypt at the time, but you can imagine how this part of Jesus' childhood impacted him as a person. In spending time as a refugee, Jesus, God in the flesh, would have learned to identify with the downtrodden and the homeless. Jesus would have known uncertainty and fear. Jesus knows what it's like to live on the run. Jesus knows what it's like to live in uncertain times when fear, anxiety and nightmares plague your existence. I don't know how you feel about politics, but I feel it's sad that our main political parties seem to compete on how cruel they can be to refugees. Yes, we need to discourage people smuggling, but surely in our prosperity in Australia, we can be kinder to bona fide refugees. Living in Toowoomba, I met a refugee from Syria who came to Australia from Iraq. His name was Bashar. Bashar was so keen to give back to the community that had taken him and welcomed him that he began serving at our church. And then he began feeding the homeless in the city on Friday nights. Bashar reminded me that Jesus knows what it is to live in fear and that his heart is for the marginalised and downtrodden. Our challenge as Christians should be to identify with Jesus and care for others like he has cared for us. Through God's providence and Mary and Joseph's faithfulness, Jesus' life is preserved. Look with me at verse 19 where we read, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Here is another narrow escape. As Jesus' family return, they hear Herod's son, Archelaus, who is just as cruel as his father, has taken over. So again, they make a narrow escape in verse 22. But when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So is fulfilled what the prophet said. He will be called a Nazarene. The Bible teaches us, the Bible prophesies, A, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, B, that he would, he would, he would fly to Egypt, he would spend some time in Egypt, and C, that he would be called a Nazarene. Here again, we see God's providence working despite human sin. We also see how the Old Testament lines up with the new. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy without trying. And God's salvation plan is working even as evil tries to defy it. Jesus, the refugee, becomes Jesus from the nobody town of Nazareth. 
in the Gospel of John, a man named Nathaniel learns where Jesus is from and he scoffs and says, Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? While we don't know much about Jesus' early life, it's likely that he grew up in this backwater town swinging a hammer in his father's carpentry shop. Jesus probably had rough hands and knew how to work humbly and diligently without making a fuss. The Bible tells us twice that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and people. It's not like Jesus came to earth as a baby and then miraculously zapped himself into a man who died on the cross. Jesus gradually discovered his identity in God through his word. Jesus knew the scriptures of the Old Testament by memory. And in the Gospels, we see that Jesus had a developed prayer life and a developed devotional life. Jesus gradually discerns God's plans for his life and begins to recognize that his life will come to a head at the cross. Sometimes it's tempting to think that in order to be like Jesus, we need to be turning water into wine on a daily basis. That we need to see miracles happening all around us and be busybody preachers who sit on mountaintops hugging babies and sheep. But Jesus' life was not a cakewalk. Jesus knows sickness, oppression and pain. He knows drought, conflict and injustice. When the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way we are and yet did not sin, it means that Jesus understands what it is like to be us. He knows what it's like to experience the temptations, trials and disappointments we all face. We don't have a God who is indifferent to our suffering. Instead, we have a God who knows what it's like to live and die among his people. While Jesus' narrow escape is a reminder that we can rely on God for protection and that God will get us through, it's also a reminder that the Christian life is hard sometimes. And God makes no apologies for that. Our happiness matters to God, but so does our holiness. God won't stop the storms of life, but he will carry us through them. This is why it's so important that we learn about Jesus' life as well as his birth and death. So often we try to reduce the story of Jesus into an elevator pitch that we can share with someone in a minute. But Jesus' story takes longer than a minute to tell. In Matthew 2, 13 to 23, we see how we can say bad things happen to good people, yes, but that God is still in control at the same time. Matthew peels back the curtain of history for us and helps us to understand that while one king is hatching murderous plans against God, God is working all things to the good of those who love him and raising up the king of kings. While the book of Revelation is rarely read at Christmas time, it should be. In Revelation, we see what was happening in the heavenlies while Jesus was born on earth. And I don't normally do this, 
But if you've got your Bible open, I encourage you to turn to Revelation, Revelation chapter 13, where we actually see the Christmas story. Revelation chapter 13, which is on page 1513 of the church Bibles. Revelation chapter 13. Actually, I've got that wrong. Revelation chapter 3, sorry. Oh, no. What have I done? Um, Revelation chapter 12, sorry. 1513. We got there in the end. <laughs> I had a wedding last night, so I'm a little bit dusty. I apologize. (laughs) Revelation chapter 12, uh, from verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. His tail swept a third of the stars from the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so he might devour the child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God. This vivid account speaks of how Herod's evil plans were thwarted by God's plans. King Herod represents all evil powers who raise themselves up against God and make themselves into little gods. I don't know what your nativity scene looks like, but the Bible tells us that while Jesus was being born on earth, There was a spiritual battle taking place as the dark forces that raised their ugly heads against God's rule fought against him, but they were ultimately thwarted. There is a dragon in my nativity. And um, a Christian website called Speak Life has come up with, it's a kid's video, uh, but it actually has some very beautiful and profound adult themes. And kids, if you're over there, I encourage you to have a watch of this. It's called, There's a Dragon in My Nativity. There's a dragon in my nativity. Dreadful and immense. The shepherds quake, the wise men shake, and spill the frankincense. Dragon by the stable. I don't know why he's there. 
chasm over the present, and he only seems to glare. He hovers over David's town, that still beneath him lies, yet no one's sleep is dreamless, underneath his piercing eyes. This dragon is invisible, with ordinary sight. You cannot snap a selfie, or televise his flight. Unseen he stands for every power that stands against the earth. Death, disease, and darkness overshadowing each birth. This dragon is an enemy of all that's good and true. This monster lies and steals and kills. He's coming after you. Above each crib, the dragon hovers, sure to swallow whole. Rulers, empires, beauty, joy, a flesh and blood black hole. But dragons always meet their mark, they always meet their doom. The hero rises to the fight to cast them into gloom. And so at this nativity arose another player, the bathing wrapped in swaddling cloth. He was a dragon slayer. He'd come to fight through Hera's plots, through dangers big and small. He took on evil, sickness, death, and triumphed over all. A dragon or a baby, just who would win the fight? It wasn't really fair, you see. A child was a knight. And high above and long before, he knew what must be done. He knew the dragon waiting him, and still he chose to come. There's a dragon in my nativity, a fierce and monstrous danger, but fierce is still the bravery and love within the manger. Pretty cool, huh? The Bible has so much to show us about the life of Jesus and what his life means for ours. This is why today I want to challenge our whole congregation, our whole church, to read through the New Testament once this year. In your pew sheets today, you'll find a Bible in a year reading plan, which will take you through the whole New Testament in one year. All you need to commit to is a chapter a day. In reading through the Bible, you'll see that the story of the Bible is real about evil and injustice, suffering and sin. It doesn't dance around the plots to kill kings or the realities we all face. At the same time, it tells us the story of our own narrow escape, of God's plan to save the whole world through his son through that night, through that dragon slayer. Let's not focus on the beauty of the nativity without recognizing that there was a dragon trying to stop God's good plans that first Christmas. Let's also recognize that the baby was a dragon slayer and would crush Satan's evil plans by the power of God's love. So let's worship Jesus this year in confidence and the assurance of God's salvation plan. Jesus is coming back. In coming back, he will set all wrongs right and will one day welcome us into his presence. Amen.